This edition of the HTXT Apricast is sponsored by Poco. Spun off from Xiaomi in 2020, Poco is the latest smartphone brand in South Africa offering a premium smartphone experience your wallet will enjoy. With special attention paid to the camera and display, you pay for what you need and you'll get more than you expect. Find out more by searching Poco on takealot.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the AfriCast. My name is Brendan Lotz and joining me as always is Clinton Matos. Everybody. And Robin Lichetti. Howdy. Guys uh, surviving in the uh, heat that is Johannesburg today? Barely. Uh, yesterday as we'll talk about it, we did go see some movies and uh, I was very thankful for the uh, air conditioning in the in the theatres. It's, uh, it's been a scorcher. Yeah, it has been. Uh, let's dive straight into it. Uh, Clinton, you've been playing a new Metroid game. Yes, so this is a bit odd for me. I've never actually sat down and played through a Metroid game before. Um, I have nothing against the series. There's just, you know, there's only a t- certain number of uh, hours in a day, and I just never got around to it. So this has been a new experience, and I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's just that it's very weird to go back to a series that has influence so much of gaming i mean metroidvania is an entire genre of games and it's a genre of games that i've played a lot of in the past uh guacamelee and um others like it have been some of my favorites so to go back to this is i don't know it's kind of like being a fan of fiction and then going back and reading lord of the rings and then you read about oh the orcs i know orcs have seen them in a hundred different things i know elves have seen them in a hundred different things but to go back to the source of something can be quite refreshing but also a bit vanilla if that's the right word it's i'm I'm not saying metroid dread is kind of a plain jane kind of game it's just that i kind of expected more I've I've seen everything this game has to show me. I haven't finished yet at the time of us recording this podcast. I'll probably have a full review next week. Um, but it's just all, all of the mechanics and all of the upgrades and everything it has to offer, I've seen before um, in those other games that it has inspired, but also just in other Metroid games. Because even though I haven't sat down to play through a whole game before, I'm very familiar with you turning into a ball and you having a screw attack which lets you get to different places and you unlocking a bomb that lets you bomb certain tiles that get you secrets and unlocking missile tanks and energy pods and all of these things. It just feels so familiar and it doesn't have that much to surprise me with. Um, the name of, literally the name of the game is called Metroid Dread because there are new enemies called Emmys which are basically um, horror monsters. They can't be destroyed by your regular attacks and they basically chase you down like a big scary monster in certain parts of the game so that's the one thing it has to kind of impress me and the new and um the fans of the series with but even those are uh, old hat we've seen this kind of mechanic in other games before we've been chased by countless monsters in other horror games even though this really isn't a horror game so i'm getting near the end and it's still failing to impress me. And I feel that once the credits roll, I'll still have this opinion. And I'll probably get burned at the stake. People will be like, oh, you just don't understand it, yada, yada, yada. But I've always held the um, opinion that any piece of media needs to not only innovate on past uh, entries in the series, but it also needs to offer newcomers something to turn them into longtime fans. Because 
you know, no matter how much you love a hobby or a piece of media, you need new people coming in. You need that fresh blood. And I don't know how much fresh blood Metroid Dread is going to create. So uh, I didn't want to get too deep into it today because, um, like I said, I'll have a full review. And maybe in the last um, quarter or third of the game, however much I have left to get through, something big will happen and it'll put me on my head. But I doubt it. It's too familiar. It's too vanilla. And I don't know how much of a recommendation it's going to get from me. Okay. Uh, Robin, you've got some news about UCT's online high school for us. Yeah, that's right. So people may remember that the University of Cape Town announced their online high school uh, around about July of this year. And then they were looking to take in students from grade 8 to 11 uh, for the 2022 school year. Uh, and then thereafter, in 2023, they'll be offering the trick. Uh, it was really an interesting offering just as far as price was concerned. Uh, they kind of built it as the most affordable high school in South Africa. And their estimations as far as monthly fees was around about 2,095 Rand per month to send a, a child to this online high school. Obviously, that doesn't factor in things like uh, internet connectivity and actual device in order to log into online sessions and things like that. Mm. But it at least from a price perspective and a distance learning perspective, it is quite an interesting offering. So obviously continuing that uh, intake of students for next year when, when the online high school kicks off, but you're going to need teachers to teach those kids. And that kind of is the story this week. Um, they're on a, on a big hiring drive at the moment. Uh, they're looking to hire almost 300 plus uh, personnel to kind of assist with the online high school. And that kind of extends not only to teachers, but they're also looking for online tutors, mentors, uh, developers and designers to assist on the back end as far as the kind of technology and infrastructure that supports the online high school. Um, and yeah, so, so as far as I understand, uh, they have had over 5,000 learning applications for January 2022. So there is definite interest in, uh, in the online high school, and now they're looking to make sure it's staffed uh, adequately. Uh, it is a rather tight timeline, as uh, Clinton and I were discussing earlier this week. Um, so it will be interesting to kind of see how quickly they can get uh, all these people, all the, all the staff registered and compliant and kind of au fait with the entire online high school and how it's going to work. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like uh, UCT's plans are pushing ahead and it will be interesting to see if it is successful, whether or not other uh, uh, tertiary institutions start offering distance learning. Uh, I know, for example, Vitz uh, a few years ago was perhaps looking at being a postgraduate only institution. Uh, and this could also be potentially maybe another avenue for them to look at as far as generating revenue. Uh, we know obviously UNISA has its own issues uh, with regards to tertiary education. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is, it, it's an interesting experiment, I think, uh, from an outsider's perspective. Uh, whether or not the actual learners will be able to benefit from it uh, remains to be seen. But yeah, like I said, quite an interesting initiative that's been put to the fore. So the 300 staff that they're looking to employ, that doesn't just include teachers, I'm assuming? Yeah, so they're looking for mentors, uh, learning coaches, uh, teaching assistants as well, uh, software developers, content creators, learning designers. And I think outside of the teachers, the kind of other support elements, they have a really, really short time frame with which to kind of get everything up and running. So I do hope that there's enough time for them to do so because the last thing you want once you've registered your child for an online high school, is for the the back end or the, the infrastructure to fail. 
Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting I also have to, to wonder um, what growing pains is going to be because I think there's a lot of schools being built all the time. I mean, I actually see a lot of advertising for schools for some reason, but a lot of other schools, they kind of have this stuff figured out more or less. So I, how much, um, how many growing pains, how many problems are they going to experience, not just as an online school, but as just a new school in general? And mm. I don't know if I was a parent, I don't know if I would be 100% happy just sending my child into the fray, as it were, and I don't know, kind of hoping that it all works out. Because no matter how many experts they have and the best intentions and all of that, things can always go wrong. And it's stuff that you just have to learn by doing. No one's an expert the first time around. And again, this is a big South African university that has a long history of education, but that's for university, not for high school. Yeah, I think you raised a good point, especially if your child is in grade 10, 11, or 12, or rather 12 for 2023s, uh, according to what uh, UCT want to do. That's a big risk because those are really important years as far as qualifying for uh, studying at a tertiary level goes. Grade 8 and 9, I think there's room for experimentation to kind of try out a system like this, and if it doesn't work, kind of putting your kid out and just sending him to a normal, a traditional kind of school setup. But yeah, I think... I think with these kinds of things, there's always, they always say like uh, the first one through the wall gets the most bloodied. Mm. And I know that's a bad <laughs> that's a bad visual as far as kids go. But I think it, there will be a lot of growing pains, as you mentioned, Clinton. Cool. Uh, let's move on to a security breach. If you're a maker that makes use of the Thingiverse website, I urge you to heed this little section of the news. Uh, Thingiverse has reportedly been breached, but uh, how badly, how bad that breach is depends on who you're asking. Um, Have I Been Pwned creator Troy Hunt uh, was reportedly sent data from Thingiverse by somebody who had seen it on a hacking forum last week. Uh, the data contains over 228,000 unique emails and poorly encrypted uh, passwords, according to Hunt's analysis. Um, that figure doesn't include 2 million addresses that appear to have been created by the platform. Uh, that's like web dev and a username at makerbot.com. As you might know, Makerbot owns Thingiverse. Um, and yeah, so that seems really bad. However, Thingiverse says that uh, the exposure affected a handful less than 500 of real user data. The non-production, non-sensitive data included encrypted passwords randomly salted uh, with mostly testing data. The effective users have been notified. Um, they went on to say in a statement that was sent to the register, we have not identified any suspicious attempts to access Thingiverse accounts, and we have encouraged the relevant Thingiverse members to update their passwords as a precautionary measure. Now, uh, we went and checked this morning to see whether our credentials had been uh, pwned, and after plugging them into Have I Been Pwned, uh, we got an alert that Thingiverse had been breached, uh, which goes to say that uh, the email address was discovered within that database. Um, However, we haven't received an email from Thingiverse stating that our account might be compromised, uh, which creates this really jarring idea where Thingiverse says everything is fine, but then a database that Troy Hunt, who operates Have I Been Pwned, uh, says that they do have it. Now, I'm not saying that this this data could have been pulled from elsewhere, but it's a coincidence that it's too much of a coincidence for me, right? Um, 
as such, I highly recommend that you uh, update your password through Thingiverse. Uh, we did that this morning, and the password reset seems to be lagging for some reason. So we really More than recommend. An hour. Yeah, so we recommend you log into your account and reset your password manually that way, uh, just to ensure that your account isn't compromised. What's really shocking about this, though, is how long it took Troy Hunt to get uh, in touch with somebody at um, at MakerBot to disclose what he had found. Um, not so much because for lack of trying, but rather it was just he was just met with silence. And it's really, really concerning, uh, especially when a company then comes out and says, well, it's not as bad as you think it is. It's only 500 users. Um, but then there's a database of 28,000 users. So hopefully there'll be some more uh, clarity from Thingiverse on this uh, in the days to come, uh, because right now it really doesn't look that good for them, especially if they're saying 500 and a rather well-trusted security researcher and operator of possibly one of the most useful services online uh, is saying otherwise. So yeah, not a good look. Really, really not a good look. Worrying. A lot of people might not know, but uh, I don't want to say Thingiverse has been on the ropes, but they've been kind of outclassed a lot of the time. Um, back in the earlier days of printing, um, Thingiverse was the site, right? Mm. If you needed uh, a free STL or you wanted to make one and distribute it, they just there were other places to go, but Thingiverse was the gold standard, and no one would think about going to other places. And then slowly other sites, um, like uh, the other one we use a lot is My Mini Factory came to be. And then now we have other ones like Thangs, even though I really don't like that name. Thangs. Um, it also has become rather popular. So I saw some people kind of being hyperbolic on Twitter saying this will be the end of Thingiverse. I highly doubt that. But it yeah. seems like ever since MakerBot um, took ownership, they've been letting it slowly die. And this is a long string of other problems. None of the other problems I remember being based on security, but there's been a lot of times where there's been massive server issues and the, the site has not been reachable or not properly functional for days or even weeks at a time. Mm. So yeah, it's not looking good for that site. I hope, uh, I hope it can be turned around because it's a massive resource for everyone, not just in the maker community. Yeah, so uh, change your passwords, update your passwords, especially if you are a, a Thingiverse user. The Poco M3 embraces the idea of getting more than you expect. Fitted with a 6,000 mAh battery, you'll be able to watch movies for more than 196 hours. It doesn't stop there. The Poco M3 features a 48 megapixel camera backed by a 2 megapixel depth sensor and a 2 megapixel macro camera, all fronted by a 6.53 inch display. Shop for the Poco M3 on takealot.com today and get more than you expect. Right, uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this Africast. Uh, there are two movies that are coming out shortly in South Africa. Uh, I don't know if they're out today. I don't really pay attention to movies. But Clinton Matos does, and he's seen two upcoming films. Uh, first one is Venom, There Will Be Carnage, and of course, uh, Dune 2021. Um, we're going to keep these spoiler-free so that you don't have the movies ruined unexpectedly, but obviously, we, if you want to go in blind, click away now. Um, where do you want to start, Clinton? Do you want to start with Venom? Do you want to start with uh, Dune? Let's start with Venom because um, I actually saw both movies uh, sequentially yesterday. So let me start with the one I saw first. So I saw Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and it sure was a movie. So <laughs> before I get into it, I want to ask you guys, have you seen the previous Venom? Yes. And you, Robin? Uh, yes, in the cinemas. And boy, 
Was that, yeah, was that a that, thing? That was a movie as well. <laughs> that was also a movie. Um, for better or worse, mostly worse, uh, nothing has really changed. Um, my God. <laughs> Eddie Brock is still the dumbest human ever uh, made in fiction. And Tom Hardy still does... I don't want to say he does a bad job. Just, it's an extremely weird character that isn't very likable. And it seems like something's wrong with him. Uh, even before he got the symbiote, he kind of acts like a man who has some severe... Uh, oh, how can I say this? He got bonked on the head too many times, yeah. I think. Uh, he's, in the very comic, like, he's very um, well, scatterbrained. Yeah, in the comics, um, Eddie Brock is kind of a, a giant lunkhead bodybuilder type. And... Uh, that that isn't exactly what uh, is being done here. But man, he's not a nice character. I don't understand why th- uh, he was made to be a character like this. He's just he's thoroughly unpleasant to watch. I don't know how else to say this. He's just not a good character to watch. And Tom Hardy is such a good actor. I don't know where the original Venom went wrong and why this one also does stuff wrong. So he wasn't very good. Um, the other main character here is Woody Harrelson, who's just, he's just bad. I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, anyone who saw the end credits of the original Venom movie when they revealed he was going to be in this will know that he just looks like a goof. Um, they give him a wig, and the original wig made him look like Chucky, um, because it's, it's a big <laughs> red-haired wig. And then they, they made the wig a bit better for, for this movie, but it's still bad. And the rest of the cost just doesn't have much to do. So the acting's just not good in this. Um, and then I, I assume Venom is the other main character, but he's just Tom Hardy doing a voice. And he has some jokes. He has a lot of jokes. I think about 10% of them are funny. So there's probably 10 jokes in the movie and one of them are funny. Uh, and that might, may sound harsh. I know the original Venom made like a billion dollars. So people must like this guy. But I cannot fathom why. So all of the old baggage from the original movie is still here. And the new stuff here is just... Man, it's just scatterbrained. I I know a lot of people have been saying that superhero movies are becoming longer and more ponderous. And this one is like a brisk um, hour and 30 minutes. They really... They got in and they got out as fast as they can. And I don't know if it's because they had to cut down the showing to have, uh, you know, more movies in one day or some other reason. But... It feels like the movie is just about to start, and then you get to the third act, and the movie ends. Uh, you, you know, I could tell you what happens in this movie, but if you watch a trailer, you just know. Um, Cletus Cassidy, which is um, Woody Harrison, he gets a symbiote, and he becomes Carnage. That's the name. I, c- I can't believe the movie's called Let There Be Carnage. <laughs> um, why didn't they just call it Venom versus Carnage? Or Venom v. Carnage, like, like uh, Batman v. Superman. Anyway... Um, he gets a symbiote. The two symbiotes fight, and the movie ends. I, I, that's the whole movie. I can't believe they didn't do more. That I, I guess, yeah, Brendan. That sounds like the first movie, though. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just the same BS. Uh, I mean, there is a new character named uh, well in the comics. She's called Shriek, but they call her um, Frances Barrison. Yeah, she's a new character, but she's in it n- not a lot. So I I, I wouldn't even you know talk about it and i think in a week if anyone still remembers this movie they're like hey do you remember the character shriek who shouts really loud and they're like oh yeah she was in this so all of it is all of it is boring um the cg goes from 
kind of good to kind of bad. And at the end of this movie, I just kind of felt hollow and like it was it wasn't worth my time and i like i said in a week if people are still talking about it i don't think people will still be talking about it i don't think most people even talk about venomy anymore except for the part where uh he jumps into the lobster tank and eats eats a lobster which is hilarious a lot of people say that's the best part of the first movie they reference it again in this movie oh, no. so like hey remember that part some people <laughs> like that part let's talk about it again Oh my god. It's... Is there is there a needless car chase scene? Yes, there's a few. Um, oh my goodness. There's, there's... They really did just copy and paste the first movie, yeah. didn't they? There's a symbiote involved in the car chase, but it doesn't really change that much. It's, man, what a flippin'. I sound so scatterbrained, but the movie itself is very scatterbrained. I mean, let me think of something good to say. Carnage <sighs> looked pretty cool. Um, you know, Carnage and Venom are both symbiotes, and they look very similar, but... Uh, the CG team really did a lot to make Venom look and feel different. Uh, Venom has, um, sorry, Carnage. See, it's very, it's very confusing. <laughs> uh, Carnage has like extra tendrils and he attacks with bladed weapons. Mm. And he seems to be more aggressive instead of Venom, which is, Venom is kind of like a goof. So I, I, I think those factors are enough to differentiate them. That sounds uh, a lot like Riot in the first one. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to bring up. In the first movie, Riot was grey and Venom is black. So when they fought, it was just... Oh, I was going to swear there. It was a cluster F. It's, it was just a mess. So in this movie, I think, okay, we really need to make them different. So they know just... It's not just two blobs hitting against each other. So the CG was pretty good. The CG team should be pat on the back because they're probably the best part about all of this. Um, the other great part about Carnage is that uh, it has he has a very distinctive roar. I don't know why he's running around roaring all the time. These symbiotes are like sentient creatures who can think and feel. So I don't know why he feels the need to stomp around like a T-Rex and roar all the time. Have you never but done that? It's, it's, uh, really, it's really quite cathartic. <laughs> yeah, well, it's usually into a pillow, right? That's what yeah. the um, So yeah, I don't know why Carnage was done like that, but it did make use of the good sound system in the theater, so I guess that's why they did it. And I, I really don't have that much to say about this movie, and uh, I hope that's not uh, a problem with you guys. If you wanted to know more, you can ask. <laughs> but it was just, again, the whole movie is there's another symbiote, and then they have a big fight, and then the movie's over. And at some point, Eddie and the symbiote have a fight, but that also happened in the first movie. So... It, it's retreading the bad parts of the first movie. It doesn't add any good parts of its own. And it just kind of feels like a waste. I know a lot of people talk about oh, superhero movie fatigue and everything. And it's low effort superhero movies like this, which are really doing that to mm. the landscape. And I say all of this and it's probably going to make another billion dollars. So you know, <laughs> whatever. I, I really don't think it's it's worth seeing. Maybe in a few months when it's on demand. Uh, do you guys want to know anything about it that you're curious from the trailers? Um, no. <laughs> I think you. I, ha I have several questions. Yeah. I have several questions. Yes. One. Is there a Eminem song at the end? Oh, there is yeah. an Eminem song in the credits. Okay, then, then it's a must-watch for me. <laughs> uh, guys, maybe... I'm sorry. That first song from that first movie, I, every time I hear it, I just have to laugh. Like, so funny. Yeah, how so, are we going to so bring Venom into a verse, guys? 
Well, I can say it really fast. Perfect. Oh Perfect. Ship it. Oh, wait. Well, uh, Robin, uh, let me introduce you to something called uh, Spotify. <laughs> this stuff without actually buying it. Um, and then I, I had to, I, was, I wasn't feeling well. There's apparently an after credit scene. Um, you can just look up stuff about that um, if you want to be spoiled. But yeah, that was Venom Let There Be Carnage. A thoroughly dumb movie, a thoroughly boring movie that I have no idea why is getting some favorable reviews. People are like, oh, it's, it's like the early 2000s uh, comic book movies that were just some, some fun, you know, just tune in and have fun. But I don't think it's that fun. It's moderately fun. I do fun. wonder if they're going for that, though. Like, you know, like kind of like the Sharknado kind of movies that are not too serious. Because when, when I heard that... Uh, uh, Tom Hardy was attached to the project. I don't know if you remember that there was like a fan-made Venom short film, maybe seven, eight minutes. It was black and white, and it was more like a psychological horror than this no, I haven't uh, seen CGI nonsense. That's what I thought they were going to go for, that this was almost going to be like a horror. And then I sat through an hour and a half of nonsense in an IMAX theater and then walked out listening to Eminem. So, yeah... <laughs> They could have done something really cool with it. It just seems like they just went for the easy way out. And the the hilarious part of about about all of this is it's probably going to be successful, and I'm almost certain that uh, Sony is going to roll this version of Venom into the MCU. And you know, I really love Venom as a character. I remember I can't remember it was one of the PS2 games where you could play as Venom, and Venom was terrifying. Like instead of uh, swinging through a city like uh, Spider Man does. He like attaches onto buildings and he destroys them as he runs around the city. And if I remember right, do you know how you replenish your health in that Venom game? You have to eat children who have balloons. Like their red balloons symbolize um, you getting health. So Venom is supposed to be this kind of this monster, literally a monster. And in this movie, he's just a goofball who's like, oh, I want to eat human brains, and then he never eats human brains. I think he kills one person in this whole movie, which again, in in itself is hilarious that this has a, a low age restriction. Um, yeah. Oh my god. What a... Again, it's not bad. It's just not interesting. It's one of those times where the worst thing you can be as a piece of entertainment is boring, and this is thoroughly boring, and I think that's all I have to say about it. Um, I'll have full review out. I'll have links to all the reviews that we talk about today, and you can check it out. Venom is out today, uh, so you can get it. I just want to check the tickets. It is, it is today. Yes, it's today. You can go see Venom today, but... Maybe don't. Man, yeah, Maybe I, watch I, I some paint drive. Watch the grass grow. <laughs> Do anything and you know else. What? I think it will also be funny that a lot of people are now vaccinated in South Africa and they might be seeing this as the first theater experience in like two years. And then they're going to be like, oh, this, this this is what we were missing. <laughs> Tom Hardy being an absolute idiot. Kind of bad CGI, but kind of good CGI. I, I don't even remember a single piece of music in this whole movie. It was so forgettable. Uh, unlike the other movie we're going to talk about in yeah. Second Dude had really memorable music but let's get to that because i'm done talking about venom um i'll be very angry if i paid to see this movie so let's talk about dune so before we get that i want to ask you guys what's your experience with dune because uh robin you you've been very looking forward to this uh yeah read the book i read the books um really looking forward to it i've tried to keep my eyes away from too much media i don't want to get i want to go in slightly blind yeah yeah and you, Brendan? Um, I watched the original movie from the 80s. 
yeah. and that put me off of it for life. Yeah, that's a bit funny because that movie does have some ardent supporters. But uh, like you, Robin, I read the books. Um, I read the first book, I think, like three or four years ago now, uh, back when this movie was announced. So when the movie was announced, I thought, okay, let me read the uh, the book. So again, there's not going to be any spoilers. Let me give you my bigger overall thoughts. This is a good movie, but it's it's crushed under the weight of all its source material and the fact that it really wants to be the first movie in a big series. Um, in all the promotional material about this, I didn't see once that it's like, oh, this is going to be the first part of a big thing. And then when the opening credits happen, they flash this the title card, Dune, and then it slowly fades in saying part one. And that, I don't want to say it's a bait and switch, but it, that kind of set the tone for the whole movie. Mm. And I'll come back to specifics, but I just want to talk about it overall. This movie really struggles to stand alone as its own entity, as its own movie. It feels like it needs to be part of a trilogy of movies or a quadrilogy with four movies. And if they are successful enough to have movies in the future, I think people will return to this one and say it was a really good starting point, but only in retrospect if we have other movies. And again, going back to the review that I'll, I'll link to, I really think this would have been much better as a really big budget series. Um, I think Amazon said that they put like a billion dollars into the Lord of the Rings series mm. and Game of Thrones was like $10 million per episode or something like that. I really think this series demands that kind of um, attention and that kind of span. Um, this movie is an hour and 55 minutes, I think. Um, I wrote it in the review. So it had, it was a long movie, but it doesn't use its time well. Like, uh, they talk about the it's something called the sand dance, where you need to walk across the sand in a certain way, not to attract sandworms. Um, they spend so much time on that, but then they completely skip over important parts, like the more uh, detailed mechanics of what Spice does, or the weird shields that everyone has. And someone said, oh, why aren't they using guns? Well, because the shields stopped the guns, but then they didn't talk about the guns and the shields and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess. But it's also really pretty. I mean, I think a lot of we've talked about it before. Blade Runner twenty forty nine is mm, chef's kiss. That is one of my favorite movies, and I know it's a it's a very <laughs> white guy thing to say you love Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's it's up there with like Drive and The Dark Knight, where everyone in our age group is like, oh yeah, best movie, love it. But man, twenty forty nine is such a good movie. Don't worry, um, as a as a non white guy, I can co sign that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually I don't know, uh, Brendan. Me and you watched it. Uh, the Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. Yeah, they had um, a thirty-five-year-old white guy, and then the the only thing he says is Dark Knight is such a good movie. movie. I love this ledger. <laughs> and that's the only thing he says in the whole in the whole show. So it's a very it's a very meme memeable thing. Like saying kids love to play Fortnite. Uh, guys our age love Blade Runner and Drive and The Dark Knight. So with all of that in mind. If you only take one thing away, it's that Blade Runner and the director, oh boy, Dennis Villeneuve, I think that's how you pronounce it. I, I've never spoken French in my life. It's uh, okay, so that guy, the director, <laughs> he brings a lot of, uh, also Arrival, I love that movie too. If you watch those other movies and you're expecting bombastic sights and 
a fantastic score and visual candy, 100%. This movie, if you watch this with no audio for some reason, I don't know why you do that. Um, <laughs> if you watch this with no audio and you just soaked in the sights and you paid extra for an IMAX ticket, you would get your money's worth. I, I cannot fault this movie in terms of CG or set design or um, the look and the feel of all of this. It feels like a real world and it sounds like a real world. And there's parts of the book where you can imagine them being so grand and so beautiful. And then you see it in a movie and you're like, yeah, well done, Dennis. Uh, th that looks really good. I'm happy you did it that way. Um, th th now, I did say you could listen to it without music. Um, which I, I wouldn't recommend because there's a lot of great music in this. The, the big problem, it's the first kind of crack in all of this, is that, man, this movie, it really depends on that soundtrack. Uh, um, we were talking about it a while ago when uh, Justice League came out. There was this big meme that every time Wonder Woman was um, in frame, they played this this music of like Amazons doing a chant. And that happened like a dozen times in the movie. This does it more than that. Every time something happens, they have this big swelling music and it's so loud in the theater, it actually hurt to listen to sometimes. And it, it doesn't give you any reprieve because usually when someone is stopping and having a silent conversation, they're usually talking about, oh, we're going to die and there's big political drama going on in the universe and stuff like that. So I don't think the director or the director of photography or the person in charge of the score, they didn't give the audience kind of enough of a a break. They didn't give them the uh, the space to breathe between all of this. So it can feel kind of exhausting. Um, but I, I also spoke to some people afterwards and they're saying they really liked it because in that way because it kept up a, a pace throughout the movie. And even though it's so long, because it was so relentless, the movie felt shorter, which I can completely understand. But I did want more silence, uh, funny enough. <laughs> so that's fantastic. And also, which is just as fantastic, is the, mo is the, uh, the cast. I was going to say the movie, yes. Uh, <laughs> the cast is so good. I mean, this, this could be considered an ensemble movie because... Almost every actor and actress in this movie could be the main character in another franchise. So you got again another friend's name, Timothy Chalamet. Um, he's a uh, he's the <laughs> the big popular actor right now. Uh, all the women love him, and a lot of men too. Um, he was so good. Uh, he's in. He's the, definitely the main character here, Paul Atreides. And I think he's in about 80% of the scenes in this movie. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to think back now. And I, I think the only scenes where he wasn't in it is when you have the bad guys talking to each other, which is about 20% of the movie. So if you love this guy, you're going to love this movie. But that comes at the cost of all these other great characters and all these other great actors not getting enough screen time. And... You could argue that's a fault of the source material or how this was adapted or the fact that they're really leaning on these actors to sell movie tickets. But I just want to put that out there that you're going to be with this guy a lot of the time. And as many people who love Timothy, I know a lot of people don't like him. Um, I, I can't do anything with people's feelings. <laughs> but I just want to say um, he's mo he is most of the movie. More than most main characters in other franchises, it, this is Paul's story, and you need to go in for Paul's story, and I can't do anything for you if you don't want to see him. Um, his parents, uh, who are played by Rebecca Ferguson and Oscar Isaac, are also fantastic. Um, Oscar Isaac did such a good job with his father, uh, the Duke Leto. He, he really brought a more likable edge to the character compared to other representations of him. 
And he is, I, I don't want to spoil it, even though the book came out in 1965, for, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> he is the catalyst for everything that happens in this movie, and he's also the catalyst for the entire franchise. Uh, all the books, I mean, it all depends on the actions of Duke Leto. But Oscar Isaac really needed to nail it, and he, he really did nail it. He, everyone, like everyone else in this movie, they all brought their A-games. Um, Josh Brolin was here as Gurney Halleck. Uh, he wasn't in it that much, like a lot of characters aren't in it that much, but <laughs> I couldn't help but just hear Thanos when he was... Uh, <laughs> When he was talking, um, he doesn't have much to do. Uh, I mean, you see it in the trailer. I think he's in every trailer where he's giving uh, Paul a, a knife fighting lesson. Uh, and that's his biggest scene and his longest scene. So, again, he doesn't have much to do, but the stuff that he did do was really good. Uh, you also got Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho, which is the. Uh, everyone's made jokes about this for literal decades, but Duncan Idaho is such a funny name in the context of the series. He was also really good. Um, Jason Momoa is another Marmite actor where you either really love him or really hate him. Um, there are I, people I, that hate Jason Momoa? Yeah, a lot of people. Be, well, I think the big problem with him is every time he's in a movie, you don't see the character. You just see big surfer dude Jason Momoa, Fair which enough. I completely understand. So maybe hate is a strong word. I'm just saying sometimes he doesn't chameleon himself into a role sometimes and you just see the actor. Uh, he was also pretty good in this. But again, you don't see him a lot in the movie. Um, so a lot of these actors, I don't want to say they were wasted. Uh, they just didn't get the screen time they deserved. And I think maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's like a little teaser. Like, oh, that was pretty good, right? And then immediately we're going to go into another actor. So they the main cast. There's a lot of other characters like Zendaya. She was, she was advertised so much in this movie. And again, I don't want to spoil it, but... I think fans of hers will be a bit disappointed that, about her screen time length. Um, again, that's not a spoiler. Uh, I'm not saying she dies in the first 10 minutes or anything like that, but she just didn't get as much screen time as she should have gotten. And again, none of this is really spoilers. The book came out in 1965. Come on. So the cast, fantastic. The look of the movie, fantastic. The, movie, the music, fantastic. The art direction, fantastic. All of this is so good. But the writing is where everything falls down. And it's a bit... It's a bit funny because Dune is a piece of writing and it's some consider it the best piece of writing ever. But the adaptation for this movie is strange because the pacing is too fast but also too slow. And I'm going back to what I talked about at the top where they spend too much time on certain parts which aren't that important and not enough time on other parts which are important. And the big problem here is that um, Spice is central to the narrative. Again, I won't explain too much about what the spice is. It's just a MacGuffin, basically. It's, it is literal spice, um, you know, powdered stuff. And on the planet Arrakis, spice does everything. It makes you healthy. It makes you stronger. It makes you live longer. It gives people the ability to navigate through space. It does anything that the story needs it to do, basically. Um, and it gives Paul visions of the past, but also possible futures. So... There's a lot of flashbacks and a lot of flash forwards in this movie as well. So you take the bad pacing of the core movie and then you also work in this kind of time travel element um, and it becomes a bit of a mess. Now, if you are a fan of the series and you've read the books or you've watched the original movie or there was also a series featuring James McAvoy, which a lot of people don't talk about. Um, if you've got that background, it's easier to take in. Because you understand, oh, they're cutting corners here and here, 
but I can fill that in with my knowledge or they will do that in a future movie. But I actually went to see it with a friend who's completely new to this franchise and he was thoroughly confused at certain parts and he didn't understand the choices that were made and he was kind of left a bit bewildered. Like he asked me again, I go back to that thing. It's like, why, why were they all fighting with knives? And I had to go on this big thing. Oh, there's, there's a, this type of shield. But if you shoot the shield with a last gun, it causes a nuclear explosion. So they have to do this. So they left up big parts and they kind of expected us to fill it in. And it all comes back to this, this, um, I don't know what you'd call it, this mindset that the filmmakers had of this is part one. We're going to, don't worry, guys. You know, we're going to do it later. We'll, we'll fix it in post or something like that. So it all results in a movie which is really struggling to stand on its own two legs. And it can be as pretty and as awe-inspiring as it wants to be. But the writing and the pacing let it down. So I'll talk a bit, about, a bit more about it in a minute. Um, I'll also come to some conclusions. But I want to ask you guys, do you have any questions so far? Or do you want to probe any deeper into certain parts of it? So uh, I just want to jump in here. So I've been watching Foundation uh, on yeah. Apple TV Plus, and a lot of the the concerns that you raised now uh, about like the pacing and uh, this being the first in a series, like I think I, I, I tend to side with you on the this maybe should have been a series um, because Foundation I think shares a lot of the issues that um, Dune does in that. You are telling a story that spans thousands of years across an entire galaxy. So you're going to be jumping around a lot. But what I think Foundation has kind of done cleverly is do that in, in an episodic way where there's one episode where it's like, this is how everything started out. And then the next episode is, hey, we're jumping into the future a bit um, so that you can see how things have evolved. And then next episode, jump back. So yeah. I think a, a, a series really helps tell this sort of storytelling, um, especially from a fan point of view, where you want you just want more, you want another another hit of this this experience yeah. of this world, and like I think a movie like this, as great as it is to to tell an epic tale like this, I think you do need to have kind of the cement saying, well, we're going to have X amount of movies, and that doesn't seem like that's the case, or is it? Have they confirmed yeah, that there'll be more movies? The sequels are kind of up in the air right now. Um, there was a lot of talk about Dennis Villeneuve uh, leaving um, Warner Brothers and HBO because of at one point this movie was supposed to be on HBO and it wouldn't get a theatrical release. Mm. Then that caused worries that it wouldn't make enough money to get a sequel, and it, it's kind of up in the air right now. I, I haven't checked it in the past like day or two. But as far as I know from reading the news, there are sequels planned, but nothing is 100% right now. But this is one of the projects where you kind of need to go into it, and the big wigs have said there's going to be three more movies. So up in the air right now, and the whole thing about it being episodic was actually something I brought up with my friend, because uh, the friend who doesn't know about this series, because even if they, you know, all the stars align and we have a sequel and a, a third movie and a fourth movie and whatever, even if we have that, it's going to be a few years before those mm. are out. So the problem is that the casual people who just want to watch something and not read books or watch other movies about it, if they go see the second movie in a few years, they're not going to remember a single thing about this movie. And because it's so packed with ideas and concepts and metaphysics and all of this, 
it's going to be very difficult to get them back into the theaters for the second movie. Um, but if you, like you said, if it's a mo- if it's a series, all those questions they have will be answered by the episode next week. And also, the time jumps between series, I think, are um, more acceptable in the TV space. Mm. Um, I don't know why that happens, why people are like, I don't remember anything about this movie, that makes me angry, but if the series comes out a few years later, I'll be more understanding. That's just how things are. But it, I really think it should have been a very big budget TV show on, um, maybe not Netflix, because they don't have the best reputation, but maybe Apple TV or HBO Max. I I really just think it would have fit that better. Um, and it seems like Dennis and the team, they don't want to go into Paul's descendants because... Again, it's not really spoiling the books, but this isn't just a story about Paul Atreides. It's about the entire Atreides bloodline. Mm. So in the other books and the other movies, you actually change the protagonist, which is something not a lot of series do. And I don't think if we get more movies in this franchise, they are going to talk about Paul's children who continue his legacy. So this film, again, I don't want to spoil it, but it didn't cover everything in the book. It feels like it reserved some things that you want to see for another movie involving paul i I don't think they're going to involve his children at all so it really could have been a series it could have been one series per book or something like that but now we're getting one movie for half of a book basically which Mm. isn't the best way to do things so i feel like this movie doesn't satisfy fans because it doesn't properly do everything expected but then it also doesn't service people who are new to the franchise because it's a bit scatterbrained so yeah, uh, Robin, what do you think of what I've talked about so far? I hope you're not getting too worried um, about all of this. Uh, not worried. I mean, like you said, I think I've probably enjoyed it for the same reasons you did as far as the visuals go. Uh, you mentioned those past properties that Villainy's done, and this will probably be right up there. But I was wondering, um, as far as internal monologuing go, is there a lot of that? Because I know the uh, David Lynch film, there was a lot of that going on, and it was necessary from an exposition standpoint but Uh, a lot of people watching didn't enjoy that because it was like really weird to kind of have these long paragraphs with people monologuing and not nothing's really happening on screen yeah that's another thing i discussed with my friend because it's, it's a problem you encounter when you are adapting most books because most books have a narrator or they have another word for narrator in books i can't remember the word right now but you you need to come up with some replacement for the the dialogue of the narrator who's explaining everything to you. And the movie does, in my opinion, a good job of this because instead of having monologues like you're talking about, it explains it in other ways. So, for example, um, Paul is taught his whole life about how to be, you know, royalty and how to be the son of a duke and everything. So when he arrives on Arrakis, he's been taught about the planet and everything. So when he says, oh, the plants here require you know, a hundred persons worth of water to keep alive every day, instead of that being from the narrator or from Paul himself having an internal monologue, you have smaller characters explaining those things. And then you have, um, not robots, but you have like a, a book that can talk and it provides narration. So it instead of having a lot of internal monologue, it either has smaller characters explaining it, you know, either like one-use characters, like there was a gardener who explained that um, stuff about the plants. Um, or it relegates that um, internal monologue to bigger characters so they have more to do. So um, there is some internal monologuing because, like I said, there's a lot of flash forwards and a lot of flashbacks. So that 
that could be kind of interpreted as internal monologue. And again, it's a bit confusing, but there is there's not a lot of internal monologue and the stuff that's here is used well, but they they take advantage of this being a movie by having smaller characters who don't need a whole name and a backstory and a family lineage to explain a small part of the movie. All right. I think that was kind of my own thing that I was interested in because in the books, a lot of that monologuing builds out the story and the narrative and you kind of have greater insight and that's not always possible when you're kind of doing a film. Yeah, so it it does, at least in this specific instance, it does make good use of the fact that this is a movie. Um, but in other parts it doesn't. Like I said, it's it's a bit all over the place. Um, so I don't want to talk too much longer about it. I just want to add some final thoughts. Um, we always have to go back to the part of the review being a bit of a buyer's guide. Do you spend your money on this? Do you wait until it's on streaming or rent? What do I recommend people do at the end of the day with their money? Um, it's so tough. I really think that the best way to experience this is you have interfaced with Dune in the past, so you're already a fan. But if you're not a fan, I don't want to say, oh, just don't see this, because that would do you a disservice and also... I think the movie deserves new people coming into the fold. And if they are curious, they can just wait for the other movies that will hopefully come or they can then dig into the books and the other adaptations. So I, I'm a bit at a crossroads on what to recommend those people. I think the best thing to do is if you're new to this franchise, get a friend or a family member who is familiar with it and can either fill you in, don't talk in movies, uh, or do it very softly, who can kind of come with you out of the theater and on the car ride home, they can fill you in on certain elements. Like, um, there's a part, uh, again, this isn't a spoiler, there's a part where Paul puts his hand into the um, the sea of his homeworld, and I turned to my friend, and I said, that's going to be important later. And the reason it was going to be important later is that thirst and dying of dehydration is such a, a central theme of the movie because the main planet Arrakis is a desert and in the book again you can attest to this they talk so much about how vital water is um, and how that links into struggle and survival and everything and then they don't really talk about that in the movie so at the end my friend said why was it important that Paul put his hand into the water before he left for the desert planet um, that never came up so then I had to explain that the movie didn't touch on the, the themes of dehydration and struggle and all of that. So my recommendation is going to be if you're a newcomer who doesn't have a stomach for being a bit bewildered, you should try see it with somebody who is familiar with the movie. Um, and then do I recommend you spend extra on IMAX? It's so expensive. It's it's I think more than two hundred rand for an IMAX ticket. A regular three D movies are like a hundred and twenty rand nowadays, and I think IMAX is. Let let me see right now. How much do you think IMAX costs, guys? I have no idea. I don't Let's even know see. where to start guessing. <laughs> Robin, what's your guess for IMAX? Well, if I remember correctly, I I've already purchased tickets to watch this. I think it comes out on the twenty second. Okay. On IMAX. In 3D, and I think I bought four tickets. It I think it was around 650, maybe. Okay, so this this has actually gone down since I last right now. So this isn't for Dune, but I just looked up Venom quickly. An IMAX ticket is 168 rand, which is a lot of money. And mm -hmm. also, you have to remember that a popcorn and a drink is like 100 rand extra. So 
Okay, so it's a bit cheaper than I thought, but still 160 Rand. I mean, 168 Rand. How many months of a subscription service can you buy for 168? Two or three, right? So it's a value proposition that people are going to have to, you know, do themselves. But I think if you're already spending, I think a regular 3D movie is 130 Rand already. If you're already paying to see it in 3D, I actually prefer 2D, but the difference is then 30 or 40 Rand, then I think you should just go for IMAX. And if the visuals are the only thing that people remember about this movie, then maybe the the cost, you know, the cost of this will be more tolerable. So that again, that's something someone everyone has to decide for themselves. I think go for the IMAX with this one. If you're going to experience it, experience it in the best possible way. Um, even though I know there's problems, like I wear glasses and the IMAX glasses are terrible to wear at the same time. So, yeah, my overall thoughts on this, I had a very good time, even though I was left puzzled at the end of it all. And I really hope there's a sequel. If if there's no sequel, this movie retroactively becomes worse, which is a very weird thing to think about. I think as part of a full series this movie will become better and if it never gets a sequel it becomes markedly worse so yeah that's june and venom um i don't know if i've left out anything too important i think i touched on everything that i wanted to mention and also um i have full reviews of everything and my metroid dread review will be out next week probably i just need one more weekend to finish it up um so do you guys have any more questions before we end off? Do you want to know anything about the idiot Eddie Brock or anything about Dune before we, we kill this one? No, I think you uh, I think you touched on everything quite nicely. This is a great review. Be sure to check out Clinton's reviews uh, when they're up on the website. They'll be linked um, at the bottom of this. Maybe course. maybe try phone the movie theaters ahead of time and ask if their theaters have air conditioning because... <laughs> Just recording this podcast now, I've been uh, I've been dying. So I think let's end it and let everybody turn on their fans and everything, so we uh, we can be a bit more comfortable here. Cool. Um, I think that's good. Robin, do you have anything to add? Sorry, we just skipped over. No, nope. I will be seeing June twenty second October, Mall of Africa. Hopefully, <laughs> I'll see people there as well. Uh, yes, that's I'm it. Interest- yeah. I'm interested to see what your um what your feedback will be. It's strange that the 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 screening I went to was available already. It's it's usually near the release date. Um, so yeah, I'm very interested to see in a, when you see it, we'll discuss it on the podcast that follows it and we can see if you agree or disagree with me. Sounds good. Cool. That's going to do it from us for this week. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you very much to Poco for ch- sponsoring this uh, Africast. Um, that's going to do it from us though. Uh, from myself, Brendan Lodge, cheerio from Clinton Matos. Everybody. And from Robin Lichetti. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Running a Qualcomm Snapdragon processor and powered by a gargantuan battery, the Poco M3 gives you more than you expect. With a triple camera array able to capture slow motion video at 120 frames per second, you can enjoy a premium experience at a price you'll love. The Poco M3 series is available on takealot.com right now.